0: faith has a beginning point. No one comes into a personal relationship with God simply by being physically born or having moms and dads who are believers or going to church. Faith has a believing point for every single individual who professes to follow Jesus Christ our lives in Christ have a beginning point. Now, the way that the Bible says that is that God opens the invitation for us to respond to him. He, he provided a way of salvation by sending Jesus to this earth. Jesus lived for 30 years almost anonymously. And then at the age of 30, Jesus began teaching, preaching, and healing. He began announcing the kingdom of God is here. To affirm the words that he was saying, Jesus performed miraculous deeds. And he would demonstrate by opening the eyes of the blind, healing the legs of the lame, and opening the mouths of those who could not speak... Through those miracles, Jesus demonstrated the words that I'm saying have authority and truth. They are real. And so after he had completed every other assignment that his father sent him to do, Jesus willingly laid down his life on a cross. And then on the third day, what we celebrate as Easter Sunday morning, Jesus burst forth from the tomb alive, never to die again. And through what we remember every day, but especially on Good Friday, through Jesus' sacrifice, He provided forgiveness for every lustful thought you've ever had, for every angry word you've ever spoken, for every dishonest statement that you ever made. All of those sins Jesus covered and forgave. And then through the resurrection, He provides us the power... To live as new creatures. And so the way that our relationship with Christ begins. Is through our recognition of a need for Jesus. That apart from him we are incomplete. We are ruined. We have no hope. But when Jesus speaks to our hearts. And says you don't have to stay that way. One of the greatest truths in God's word is you don't have to be who you are. And you don't have to do what you do. You can be changed. And so, a person hears that message, surrenders in a process that the Bible calls repentance and faith. And at that point, new life begins. Faith has a starting point. But faith isn't an ending point in the sense of our development, in the sense of our maturity and growth. Faith produces works that show up on the outside. And the book of James is five chapters that revolve around the theme, faith that works. Faith that shows itself. Faith that isn't something that stays contained on the inside, but faith that is so visibly obvious to people who know us that they recognize, yes, you have been changed by Jesus Christ. So we're going this morning to look at some lessons from James chapter 1. And then if you want to prepare for the next four weeks, you can read James 2, 3, 4, and 5, and you'll know exactly where we're going for the next five weeks. So open your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. This morning's passage is awfully lengthy. I still want to read it, though. I think it's important for us to read God's Word, and we'll get through it. And then you will notice in the bulletin, Judy typed up some... Sermon notes because I knew that I had way too much material to share today in the two and a half hours that I'm going to speak. So I, there are some, some lessons that you can read for yourself and say, Oh, yes, I see, I see where these lessons come from. Let's read together in James chapter 1, starting in the very first verse. Hang with me now. It's 18 verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings." Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, particularly about how to get through these trials and temptations, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. But let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like the flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with its scorching wind, it dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. In other words, even the prosperous go through trials. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. You'll see that in your notes. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, God never tempts us to try to see whether or not we will do evil. Verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By His own choice He gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. So, Here you can see it's a pretty long passage and James talked about temptations and he talked about trials. Sometimes because those circumstances are similar to each other we might mistake them for the same thing. But they aren't the same thing. They aren't aren't, uh, identical, though they might be cousins to each other. They are not the same types of circumstances. You will see some contrasts between those two different types of circumstances in in the notes that uh, Judy typed up. I want us to focus more on the last idea in the similarities. Both temptations and trials... Require choices on our parts. No one can control what happens to them. All we can do is control how we handle those circumstances. And the only right way that we are able to handle trials and temptations. Is through a, is through a response that is centered on God. God. Let me show you what I mean. When temptations come and trials fall upon us, we must have a response that is based on God's goodness. Our responses to both temptation and trials have to have confidence in God's goodness. Way back in the Garden of Eden... The way that the devil deceived Eve into taking the fruit is he convinced her that God was holding out on her. He convinced her that God did not have her best interests in mind. In fact, he, he implied that God was stingy. He said, no, 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 no. I know that God told you that, that if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. That is not at all the, the case Not only will you not die, your life will be better. If you will simply do things my way instead of God's way, you will have happiness, joy, prosperity, success, blessing. You will have more my way than if you go God's way. That is the same tactic employed in every temptation. Every time you and I do what is wrong, every time we cut a corner, it is because we believe doing things the devil's way will be better than doing them God's way. God's holding out on me. He's telling me to do something that is withdrawing joy and fulfillment from my life. And whenever we sin, then the devil has succeeded. Yep, got them to doubt God's goodness. I got them to doubt that what God has laid out for them is in their best interests. And I got them to, go, to do things my way. Our responses must be centered on God's goodness. Now, I'm about to use a biblical word picture here. And I'm saying right up front, I know that it, it could be very difficult for people, for some people in this room. And I apologize for that. But I really like pointing out the specific word pictures that God's word uses. Because they... They pack a punch for a reason. God calls us to respond to both temptations and trials, remembering His goodness, knowing that this trial, though it may be something that we would not have chosen for ourselves, God either sent or allowed for the purpose of helping us grow. And we have to count on that when we are, when we are asking God, Why me? He says, I've got something good in mind here. And when temptations come, we need the confidence to say, God, your plan is best, and I will not shortcut it for something that the devil says is better. Now, the specific word picture that I want to use is down in verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I I am sorry about this, but the word picture is that of a young couple who hears that they are expecting a child. Maybe one day the wife feels a little bit funny and she says, what's going on? And she takes a pregnancy test and she says, I, I am pregnant. But before she tells her husband, she rushes down to the doctor just to make sure. And, and he says, yes, or she says, yes, you are expecting and they are thrilled. And so they, they start, you know, making plans for the nursery or what color are we going to paint it? What type of furniture are we going to have? They start going through baby books and trying to find out, you know, what, what sort of name. If it's a boy, we're going to name it this. If it's a girl, we're going to name it this. And the excitement builds and then her little stomach starts to grow. And the husband knows never to say anything about the weight she's gaining. And so as time passes, she starts feeling the little baby inside. Maybe he starts kicking on the ribs and, and, and all those types of things. And as time gets nearer and nearer, everybody's excited. They have baby showers. The wise men come. And they start pray, you know, doing all these little things in church activities and, and things like that. And then on the day of the birth, the, the, the woman says, it's time, it's time. And so they start racing you know, to the hospital And then at the birth, the child is stillborn. It's been a miscarriage. And all of the hopes and the anticipation and the excitement, and this is going to be wonderful, isn't. It's nothing but pain. Awful deep, agonizing pain. That's what James says sin is. He says the devil dangles in front of you anticipation and hope and excitement and why did I ever want to do things God's way? This is going to be so much better and it's nothing but awful regret, shame, and hurt. Pretty vivid image, isn't it? When you and I go through trials and temptations, God wants us to remember, trust in my goodness. Don't ever think that when the devil says, hey, if you will lash out at him, that would feel better. Don't ever think if I would just cut a few corners here, that would be better. God says, my way is always better. Every time. And so we need a response based on God's goodness. We also need a response based on God's worth. What I mean by that is when we are thinking about temptations, we need to, to understand God is worth my saying no to this temptation. God deserves the very best loyalty that I can give to him. And so even though the devil is dangling this temptation in front of me, even though he's making it powerfully appealing, the reason that I refuse to say no is because God is worth saying no. Those of you who are married understand that type of commitment. I'm confident that at one point or another there has been some sort of temptation to do something to undermine your marriage. Maybe getting a little closer to a person emotionally than you should. Maybe a little disrespectful talk about your spouse in front of another group of people. And you are right on the edge of taking a step. But then you thought. Not, I'm not going to treat her that way. Not going to to do him that way. Because of the worthiness of your partner. When when I was working on another degree down in New Orleans. We were having one day. Uh, where, where we were supposed to share struggles and, and temptations and things like that. And. There were guys in there, and it, it got onto you know, the inappropriate physical relationship and there were guys who were in there talking about you know, women who had come to their offices and kind of thrown themselves at these pastors and women who had shared you know um, You know, uh, openly. Hey, you know, I would be, I would be interested in, in going out with you and things like that. I never had any of those women coming. I tried to find some, but I never was able. I was never able to have any of that. And as we were going around the circle and people were talking, I specifically remember one man who shared in great detail about a crisis that he faced. He he kind of felt. Like he was distant from his wife, and I don't want to go into all the details, other than the statement that he made was. But I pledged my love to my wife, and I chose to say no. And so when you and I are thinking about the trials that we face God, your worth. My going through this in the proper way. You're worth the proper response. And in these temptations, God, you are worth my saying no. And then the third idea. We need a response that is based on God's help. None of us is able to say no to temptation alone. None of us has the willpower. None of us has the resolve None of us has the inner strength to say no to temptation on our own. During those moments, we must flee to the Lord. If we desire to live in purity with a rock-solid commitment to say, God, whatever you you want from me, I will do it when the devil comes to us to tempt us to say why don't you do it my way instead of God's you see other people are doing it look how enjoyable their lives are we have to say God I I will not get through this on my own you're going to have to help me to say no to get away from this and when we are facing trials when things do not go our way Our natural tendency is to grumble and complain, pout. And we need God's help to be able to say, God, whatever you have in mind through this trial, help me learn it. Whatever you intend to accomplish through these circumstances, God, I wouldn't have chosen them. I don't like them, I'm confused by them, but God, if you've allowed them or sent them, you have something that you are doing, so God, help me to get it. Help me through these struggles to grow in the ways that you want me to grow. We have to respond to both temptations and trials with a God-centered perspective. It's part of the faith that works. Our musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of commitment today. Nobody ever knows what type of thoughts are going through the hearts of people in a church building. But if there are people who are here and you are wrestling with a particular choice about temptations or trials... I will be glad to talk with you, to pray with you, to help you, to to do whatever I can through that. Maybe there's someone here who has not yet received Jesus Christ as Savior and needs His help in getting through temptations and trials. In whatever way God's Spirit speaks to you, our worship team is going to sing a closing song for us, a song of response. And I'll be here for just a few moments during the first verse or so if there are people who need to respond. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?